Father, uh, what a great day we celebrate today, the day when uh, Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem and uh, he was declared to be king, Lord, but we know the story, how he was rejected and uh, crucified for our sins, and, but Lord, we know the good news that he rose on the third day, and we just thank you for the great news of, of Easter and this season and uh, just all we have to celebrate because of what he's done. But, Lord, we live in very dark times and in a world that doesn't embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior, in a world that rejects him as uh, their king, Lord. And so uh, we ask today as we look at this study that, that uh, we see the, begin to see the king that the world will embrace. And, Lord, that we're able to recognize him, recognize his evil, Lord, and, and be that much sure of why we want Jesus Christ to rule and reign over us. Father, we just... We just ask that uh, you take this study today, and Lord, if there's anyone here who's riding the fence, Lord, that uh, you use this time to, to get us all serious about our relationship with you. Lord, we just thank you again for the cross. We thank you for all you've done for us, and Lord, we owe you everything. And Lord, help us to, help us to live the kind of life that, that we need to live in these, in these difficult times in which uh, we do live, Lord, and so we can only do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just ask you to teach us all these truths uh, by your Spirit. We ask that in the name of Jesus. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, everybody knows that today is Palm Sunday, and we know what Palm Sunday is all about. It's a day when, when Jesus uh, mounted that colt. Uh, he rode down from Bethany uh, over the Mount of Olives, down the brook of Kidron, and into Jerusalem. And, and as he rode through the streets of Jerusalem, they laid palms on the street, and, and they cried out, Hosanna in the highest. They, they were declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the king. Well, it would have been nice if the story had ended there, but uh, we know it didn't end there. We know that uh, uh, the very next week that uh, he was nailed to a cross and he was rejected as the king of Israel, he was rejected as the king of this world. He came into his own, and his own received him not. And what we're going to begin to look at today, or who we're going to begin to look at today, is a king that the world will reject. I mean, will receive, that they won't reject. Uh, he will be the Antichrist. And it's absolutely amazing to me uh, that when you see the stark difference between our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the coming Antichrist, how anybody could choose him over Jesus Christ. But the world will receive him, and they will embrace him. So we want to go to Revelation chapter number 13 today, and, and uh, actually we'll be looking at one of the most studied chapters in all of prophecy, uh, because it's in this chapter that we get about as much information as we're going to get about the Antichrist and the kingdom of the Antichrist. And it seems that since the ascension of Jesus Christ back to heaven, that everyone has had an opinion as to, as to who the Antichrist is or, or as to who he will be. Uh, we've talked about the preterists before. Those are the people who believe that all of Revelation was fulfilled in the first century. Well, the preterists believed that the Antichrist was none other than uh, Nero Caesar. And if you take the numerical, uh, Greek numerical value 
of the letters of uh, the name Nero Ciro, Caesar, they to total up to 666. So you can see why maybe they choose him as the possible Antichrist. Uh, as, early in, as early as the first century, the church fathers were trying to figure out who the Antichrist was. Polycarp named certain heretical teachers, and one in particular in the first century, he claimed that he was the Antichrist because he was coming against the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Irenaeus in the second century, he believed that the Antichrist of chapter 13 of Revelation was the leader of the Holy Rome, or not the Holy Roman Empire of that time, but the Roman Empire of that time. He believed he was Caesar. And a lot of people have believed he, over time that he was Caesar. The Crusaders in the Middle Ages, they believed that the leader of the Muslim Caliphate, or the, 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 the Muslims who were trying to uh, initiate a caliphate uh, throughout the world, they believed that those leaders, some of those leaders were the Antichrist. Uh, most of the reformers, including Martin Luther and John Calvin, two of the greatest reformers, they were certain that the Antichrist was the Pope. And uh, in fact, if you read the Westminster Confession of 1646, listen to what it has to say about the Pope. And we all know about the Westminster Confession. That's kind of the statement of Protestant belief. But listen to what, by the Reformers, listen to what it says. He's, he's, they say, there is no head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pope cannot in any sense be the head of the church, but he is the Antichrist, the man of sin and perdition that exalted himself against Christ and all that is called God. He is the one who Christ shall destroy at the brightness of his coming. Now, that's a pretty strong opinion, isn't it? And John Wesley and some of the later, they really weren't reformers, but some of the later leaders of the Protestant church, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, men like that, they believed that the Pope would be the Antichrist. I don't know if any of you carry a Schofield Bible. I'm not going to ask you if you do. But uh, the Schofield Bible, which was printed in the 20th century and is still a favorite of evangelicals day, today, they name the Pope as the Antichrist. Now, Catholics have countered on the other side, and maybe they've got their opinion too. Catholics have countered by labeling the Reformers as the Antichrist. They believe that Luther was the Antichrist. They believe that Calvin was an Antichrist. And, and so anybody they believe who comes against what they believe to be the true church, the Catholic church, they believe that they're antichrist, so they've got their opinion too. Muslim scholars have their opinion. Muslims believe that Paul of Tarsus is the antichrist or was the antichrist because he polluted Jesus' teachings with his gospel of grace, that the gospel of grace really doesn't belong in the Bible. So he is the antichrist. Now, in my lifetime and in your lifetime, we have heard about all sorts of people who have been labeled as the Antichrist. I remember when that Catholic, I remember Protestants, boy, that Catholic, John F. Kennedy became president. And uh, he won the Democratic National Convention. He received 666 delegates. <laughs> 
That's what he won by. And everybody, I remember it way back then. I'm that old. I remember way back then as a little baby. I remember, <laughs> I remember them saying that John F. Kennedy was the Antichrist. And then he got assassinated and he got shot in the head. And I remember people saying, he's coming back from the dead. He's coming back from the dead. That's the deadly wound, and he's going to be revived, and he's the Antichrist. And there are people today who still believe he's coming back, and he's going to rule the world one day. John F. Kennedy is. When Nixon was president, I don't know if you remember this, Henry Kissinger was considered by many to be the possible Antichrist because Henry Kissinger uh, was trying to bring peace to Jerusalem, and he was one of the first leaders to do that. And he was making agreements with the Palestinians, and he was a Jew. And so a lot of people kind of put this messianic label on him. And if you, if you total up the Hebrew letters of his name, they total 111, which is the, times 6 is 666. Now, you can see how crazy you can get with these calculations. But I remember them calculating that, and Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. I mean, I never thought Henry Kissinger could be the Antichrist. But then came Ronald Wilson Reagan. Take his name, Ronald Six, Wilson Six, Reagan Six. And here was this man who, through power, brought about the, the downfall of the Soviet Union. And he was this man of peace, and there were people who was saying that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. There are a lot of Republicans who still believe he was the Christ and the Messiah. They treat him as if he was. I remember at one time, and I think I addressed this when we were in 2 Thessalonians, I remember at one time I was almost certain that Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist, the leader of the Soviet Union. Uh, and and there, I, there were several things that made me believe that. Robert Fade wrote a book, he, he entitled it, Has the Real Antichrist Come? And uh, he gave some seemingly convincing proofs that Gorbachev was the Antichrist. By the way, Gorbachev is still alive. Uh, you take the Russian numerical equivalents of the letters of the name Mikhail Gorbachev, and they total 666. Here's what really got me to thinking, though. Walter Martin, who I really respect, he's dead now, but he was the man who founded the Bible Answer Man program. He was a very conservative Baptist, and Baptists don't ever talk about dreams or visions. Very rarely you hear that coming out of a Baptist. But I remember him sharing that he had a vision and that he saw in the vision, he saw that birthmark on Gorbachev's head. If any of you remember Gorbachev, you remember that big birthmark he had, he said it turned as he looked at him into the numbers 666. And so Robert Fade writes this book, and I read this book, and I was uh, captivated by the things that he had to say, because back before the Soviet Union fell, he predicted, Robert Fade predicted that that would be the deadly head wound, that the Soviet Union would dissolve, that they would feign this, this weakness so that they could rebuild and restructure in order that they could take over the world. And that one day the Soviet Union would be revived. 
Now, if you look at what's going on in the news today with Russia, that is, that is certainly a possibility. Whether or not Anna, Gorbachev is the Antichrist, I sort of doubt that. He's gotten pretty, pretty old and frail, and, and they've got other leaders now. But, but it, Russia certainly, if you look into Ezekiel 38, cert, Russia certainly has a role in the last days, and so uh, especially as they come up against Israel. So... So Russia is going to be in play there. Whether or not the Antichrist comes from Russia, I kind of doubt that too. Well, in the 21st century, there have been all sorts of new candidates uh, who have arisen, who people consider might possibly be the Antichrist. I kind of laugh at this one. But in 2003, Pope John Paul II, who was a very well-respected man in the world, uh, he told sources close to him that he believed, again, almost laughed at this, he believed that George W. Bush was the Antichrist because he had created this war in, in, uh, in Iraq that was going to spread throughout the world and cause all sorts of, bring this turmoil, bring in the World War III and bring in the end of the world. And I remember him stating when he talked to these sources, he wished that he was younger and better and in better health so that he was in the position to withstand George W. Bush. Now, I, I just can't believe George W. Bush is the Antichrist type. I mean, he just doesn't seem like an Antichrist to me. Uh, I don't think, he, well, I'm not going to make any judgment on him. You probably know where I'm heading. But then came Obama. And if you voted for Obama, I'm not, I'm not naming him as the Antichrist by any means. But he's more like the type that I think the Antichrist will be. I mean, he came onto the scene and he offered peace and hope to the world. And we saw how that all worked out. And he was hailed by the European press as the coming Messiah. And uh, he's out of power now. But there are a lot of people who believe that he's going to come back into power, possibly as the president of the United Nations. Uh, who knows? I kind of doubt that too. Well, there are other people on the other side of the aisle who are convinced that Donald Trump is the Antichrist. He has his hands in, the build, uh, in a building, uh, a tower on Fifth Avenue, and the address of that tower is 666. He, when he's not in Washington, he's in New York, he lives in Trump Tower on the 66th floor. Uh, now, and he certainly, you know, I, 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 some people say he's met the Lord, he knows the Lord now. I, I have my doubts about that. I'm not his judge, but I like some of the things he's doing. But uh, I don't see him as the Antichrist. Well, if you watch the news, all of this, uh, this rise of Islam that we're seeing has caused a lot of people to believe that the Antichrist will come from Islam, that he will be the head of the caliphate. And, and, and uh, that's a possibility, but I have a problem with that because when we'll look at this later on. In the book of Daniel, it's almost clear that the Antichrist will come out of a revived Roman Empire. We'll study that a little more later on. Now here's where the Muslim becomes a possibility. The Muslims are 
to some degree taking over Europe as we speak. Uh, uh, there, are, there are several European states where, where they control about half, or they, they make up about half the population of those states, and those are democratic states, and when they become the, the, the majority, they're going to institute Sharia law. And so you could see this possibility of a caliphate being formed and it taking over Europe and then being led by a Muslim, and that would be part of the Roman, the revived Roman Empire. So there is a possibility that it's going to be a Muslim, but I sort of doubt that too. Then there's this guy named Emmanuel Jean Macron. Total up the numbers, that's 18, uh, three sixes. If those of you are good in math, three sixes make up 18. And the name Emmanuel is sort of eerie to me. It, the, the name is, uh, means God with us. Uh, and, and a lot of people see him as a Messiah. Uh, uh, he won the presidency of France with 60, exactly 66% of the vote. Uh, and he's being touted as the savior of Europe. He's married, but he doesn't have any children. And one of the things we know about the Antichrist is that he has no desire for women, and therefore he has no children. And so we know that from, from the book of Daniel. And so who knows? Maybe, maybe it's Macron, you know. I sort of doubt that too because we don't know. And I've got news for you. If you're here today and you're a born-again believer, you're not going to know who the Antichrist is until you get to heaven. Now, if you know who the Antichrist is, you're in trouble. Because the Antichrist won't be revealed, we're told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 7 and 8. He won't be revealed until that which restrains him is removed from this earth. Now, that that can be one of two things. It can either be the Holy Spirit or the that can be the church. Now, here's... Well, I think it's both, because where does the Holy Spirit dwell? He dwells in the church. Now, can you imagine the Holy Spirit leaving this earth, and where does that leave us? That leaves us without the Holy Spirit. And my Bible tells me that he will never leave me or forsake me. My Bible tells me that I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that seal can never be removed. I have the Holy Spirit in me, and the Holy Spirit will never be removed. So when the Holy Spirit's out of here, I'm out of here with him. So we're out of here. So why study chapter 13 of Revelation? Let's just skip over this. We ain't got to worry about him anyway. Well, let me tell you why it's an important chapter. Because the spirit of Antichrist has already gone out into this world. And it's going to become stronger and stronger and stronger as the day of the Antichrist approaches. And we need to recognize the Antichrist so we can recognize that spirit of Antichrist and we can recognize the day in which we live on the prophetic calendar. Jesus says, hey, you can tell whether it's going to rain or whether the sun's going to shine. You can, you can judge the weather. You ought to be able to judge the time that I'm about to come. Well, let me tell you what. From what I'm reading and what I'm seeing in this world, the return of Jesus Christ is very, very near. 
the revelation of the Antichrist is very, very near. So that tells me that the rapture of the church is very, very near. And I want to be prepared when that trumpet blows so I can go be with the Lord. And so it's very important for us to know. And, and, and let me tell you where it's, here's where I think this needs to be preached in every church. It's because there are a lot of people in this world who call themselves Christians, and they might be Christians, but they're riding the fence. They're riding the fence between this antichrist world and a holy world. And you can't ride the fence. You've got to get on one side or the other, or I will tell you right now, you will be here when the antichrist comes. And so we need to be recognized, we need to be able to recognize what the age of the antichrist is going to be like, because that age is, is upon us now, and we need to make sure we're not part of that age that we're part of the uh, kingdom of God. Now, so let's, let's look at this Antichrist. And we're not going to go far today because I, we get a ton of information about the Antichrist right there in verse number one. We get a ton of information about the Antichrist and his kingdom right there in verse number one. So let's go there. Then I, now who's the I there? John. John stood on the sand of the sea, and he says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blast, and on his heads, on all the heads, a blasphemous name. Now, you get a lot of information there about the Antichrist. Now, here's what I want to say first of all, is John is having these visions. We've talked about he's, he's not doing all this in chronological order. And not only is he moving back and forth in time as he gives us these visions, he's moving back and forth between heaven and between earth. Now the last vision we saw, where was he at? He was in heaven. Where's he at now? He's back on, at Patmos. He's standing on the shore. Now can you imagine being isolated? You know, I love to go to the beach. I've talked about this before. I love the beach. I lived in Destin for two years, and I didn't ever want to see a beach again as long as I lived. I mean, you get tired of looking at the beach. Can you imagine being isolated on this island for years? And all John can do, I mean, he's on this barren island. All he can do on Patmos is go look at the sea. And one day he's out there looking at the sea, and it looks something like it looks on the cover of your bulletin today. I mean, it's just... You know, the sea is maybe raging a little bit. It's beginning to stir. And then all of a sudden, he sees this head pop up. And then he sees seven more heads pop up. And then he sees ten horns on this beast, on one of these beasts. And he sees ten crowns on those ten horns. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be pretty afraid. And I believe he actually sees this monster that comes out of the sea. Because Daniel saw beasts too. But he, and he had to be told who those beasts were, who, what, who they represented. He was fortunate. He saw them in dreams. John sees them in a vision. He actually sees this, this beast coming up out of the sea, and he's thinking, oh, man, this looks terrible. And so uh, he sees this monster, but we know that the, all of this is symbolic. I think he sees a beast, but the beast is symbolic of something. And, and whenever you see a beast, you see a monster, what do you think about? 
fear. You think about something that's going to come and kill and destroy, something you can't defeat. And that's what he sees when he sees this beast. Now, there are two main lines of interpretation, and this is, this is where a lot of confusion comes in. There's two main lines of interpretation of the identity of the beast. One is that the beast is the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's the one world government of the Antichrist. The second interpretation is that the beast is the Antichrist himself. And there's scriptural basis for both interpretations. That's why I believe that, that the beast is both. The beast in Revelation is the kingdom of the Antichrist, and the beast in Revelation is the Antichrist himself. I have no doubt about that. And you've got this beast who has horns. Now, what, what's, what's an animal use a horn for? He uses a horn to protect himself and to attack his enemies. And so this beast is going to be on the attack because he has these ten horns. Usually, when you see a beast in prophecy, it refers to the kingdom, and the horns refer to the leader of the kingdom. And so we're going to have a little bit, it looks like maybe like a little bit of an exception right here, but some, it, when, it, when Daniel used the term beast, most of the time when Daniel referred to one of these beasts, he was referring to one of these one world kingdoms. Okay, but there is an exception to that. So go back with me to the book of Daniel. Hold your place in Revelation. Hold your place in Daniel, because we can come back here a couple of times. By the way, if you get a real interested in studying this, uh, about the Antichrist, we, we did a detailed study of these beasts and the horns and all of that in Daniel. Uh, when we did the book of Daniel on Wednesday night, and that's online, you can pick that up. If you've got the app, you can just listen to it anytime you want. But, but it's a good study to, to kind of set you up for what we're looking, up, looking at now. But anyway, you've got Daniel's, normally, like I said, he speaks of these kingdoms as beasts. But look in chapter 7, verse 17. Chapter 7, verse 17. He changes his symbolism a little bit here. He says, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. So see, here in, chapter, in verse 17, he changes his symbolism, and the beast doesn't just become the kingdom, the beast becomes the king. Now, he's talking about four kings which arise out of the earth. Who was he speaking of? He's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who led Babylon. He's speaking of Darius, who led Persia. He's speaking of Alexander the Great, who led Greece. And he's speaking of Caesar, who led Rome. That's, there's some amazing prophecies in Daniel. That's why so many scholars believe that Daniel was written uh, after uh, maybe a, as late as 100 B.C., because they don't believe Daniel could have predicted all of these things. There's just some, um, he predicts the day. You talk, we were, we're talking about Palm Sunday. You can, Daniel predicts the exact day when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The exact day. That's in the book of Daniel. We won't go there today, but if you want a real good Palm Sunday study, go back and, 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 and look at the study in Daniel on that and... Uh, uh, you can learn about it. All right, now, in Revelation, John also 
uses, hold your place in Daniel there, but we can go back to Revelation. He also uses the term beast interchangeably. Go back to Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. When the, when the, when the two witnesses are killed, now remember the two witnesses are going to be on the Temple Mount uh, uh, for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, uh, defaming the Antichrist, uh, telling the truth about the Antichrist, and the Antichrist then is going to come have him killed. Look at verse number 7. When they, uh, chapter 11, verse number 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, that's the Antichrist, will make war against the two witnesses, overcome them, and he will kill them. Now, come back to our passage in verse number 1 of chapter 13, and you see this beast with seven horns, I mean with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns, and no doubt this isn't the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the little horn. We know that in Daniel. So he's one of the horns. So he's one of the leaders. So the, seven, the, the beast with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns is no doubt the one world government of the Antichrist. But look down at verse number 5. We're not going to get that far today. But in verse number 5, the beast is given a mouth and he begins to speak. That, at that point, the metaphor or the symbolism changes over to the Antichrist. Am I making sense in all of this? Are y'all following me? So see, the, so see this, the Antichrist, that we're, and this is where a lot of confusion, if you try to make the Antichrist uh, the beast with seven heads and, and uh, uh, ten horns and ten crowns, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. If you don't take the context and let that dictate the interpretation, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble in any of these passages. But anyway, in, in verse number one, we see that that's the kingdom of the Antichrist and not the Antichrist. So, so we've established that part. Now let's look at this. Let's go back to the verse 13 and let's look at this. He has seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns. Now, uh, the beast does. So this one world government has seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns. Now, most expositors believe that the seven heads are the roots of this government. In other words, the historical kingdoms from which this government arose. And they would list the, the world empires from which this new world empire arises. And they would list Egypt and Assyria, Babylon, Media Persia, and Greece, and Rome, and then the seventh would be, the seventh head would be the uh, kingdom of the Antichrist, and it would have the ten horns and the ten crowns. That is the mainline interpretation of this. And that certainly is a possibility. I'll run into problems with that, because where's the United States? Where's Russia? Where's Hitler? There's some empires that were... You know, the United States is more powerful than Rome ever thought about being. If we wanted to exercise the power that we have, maybe not now because China's risen up and Russia's risen back up, maybe we couldn't do it. But there was a time if the United States wanted to rule every inch of this earth, it could have done it. We had the most powerful military on earth. Whether or not we can do that now, I don't know. But I kind of doubt that interpretation. And even though I'm going to go against most expositors, I don't think so. I believe the seven heads 
are the seven continents of this earth. And the reason I believe that, because that cries out a world order. In other words, this kingdom is going to rule all seven continents. And, and on those seven continents, there are going to be ten horns, ten leaders. And those ten leaders are going to wear ten crowns. And one of those leaders wearing one of those crowns is going to rise up as the greatest leader, and that is the Antichrist. Now, the question you have to ask there is why, if there's seven continents, aren't there seven heads and seven crowns? Well, just take the continent of North America, for example. Let's say, and we don't know how this will shake out, but let's say Canada and the United States remain like they are, then there would be two crowns on the continent of North America. So we don't know how all of this is going to divide up and people that try to say they've got it all figured out. You can't figure it out because it hasn't happened. And we're going to see why you can't figure it out yet here in a minute. Now, so as this giant beast of a kingdom uh, comes, notice where he comes from. He suddenly comes out of what? Out of the sea. Now, what's the sea? The sea in prophecy represents all the peoples of this earth. Daniel, go back to Daniel chapter 7. Let's flip back to Daniel. I should have told you to stay right there in 7, but if you stayed in Daniel, maybe you stayed there. In Daniel 7, look at chapter 2. I mean, I'm sorry, look at verse 2. In Daniel 7, verse number 2, he said, I saw in my vision by the night, and actually that is a vision, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. What he's saying there, before the Antichrist comes on the scene, before this one world government comes on the scene, the peoples of this earth are being stirred up against each other. They're being stirred up against each other. And that fits perfectly with the symbolism we saw in Revelation. Go back to Revelation. You've got to follow me here. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. We're going to get back to 13. We're, we're going to 7 right now. I have a privilege to go anywhere I want to go. <laughs> and you've got to follow me if you want to keep up with that. Revelation chapter 7, and look at verse number 1. He says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Now see, Daniel sees the sea starting to stir. And in chapter 8 of Revelation, these angels let go of the winds and the great tribulation begins. And so what we see in Daniel is the beginning of the tri great tribulation. And what we see in chapter 7 is the beginning of the great tribulation. When, as but at, we see this picture. These angels are holding back this great war that's going to come to this earth. This great judgment that's going to come to this earth. And so... When we get to chapter 8 there of Revelation, those, they're let go. Now, when we come to chapter number 13, y'all want to get in 13, you can go to 13 now. When we come to 13, you see the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Now, 
Here's what I believe happened. When the sea is stirring and the peoples are against each other, I believe that is a picture of some great war or some great disaster that turns people against people. Maybe North Korea attacks the United States. Russia comes down. You have the Ezekiel 38 war. Some believe that's Armageddon. There's a quite possibly that's not Armageddon. Quite possibly that precedes Armageddon. And the Russian armies are destroyed. The Muslim armies are destroyed. And, and there's, going to be nuclear, there's going to be nuclear fallout. And, and, and that's the stirring of the sea. And out of that stirring of the sea, here's John. He's looking at this beast. And the, I mean, at the sea, and the sea begins to stir. And he sees this beast arise. So it's in this stirring of the sea, when the angels let go of the winds, that the Antichrist and his kingdom arise. And so what we're looking at in chapter 13, we're looking at the rise suddenly out of the sea of the Antichrist and his kingdom. So you see, kind of see the timetable, how all this happens. All right, now, there's one other thing I want to look at today before we close. And that's the last, very last part of this verse. And on his heads, on his heads, was a blasphemous name. On his heads was a blasphemous name. Now, on each of the heads, on all seven continents, in my opinion, was a blasphemous name. Now, there's all sorts of speculation as to what that name is. But what that tells us is that at this point, when this kingdom arises, the whole world will be Antichrist. The whole world will be full of blasphemers. That's what this world will be made up when he comes, all seven continents. I mean, the United States... Hey, we might be the worst blasphemers of all right now. There was a time when we were the light on the hill. But those days are long gone. Maybe a revival will come and that will change for a while. I don't know. But right now, maybe you say, well, we're not blasphemers. You, we're, we, we, man, watch the movies. I mean, don't watch the movies. There are some good movies out there. But we're, this, we live in a world, we live in a nation full of blasphemies. And, and there's all sorts of theories as to exactly what that blasphemous name is. Some say it's a name that includes socialism or communism because those are anti-God governments. There's a godless government. That's a possibility. Some say that it is a Muslim one world that the caliphate does take over and, and that the name Allah is somehow featured on the flags of these seven heads or on the, you know, somehow that that uh, 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 on these, each of these nations, I mean, maybe that's a possibility. It could be the word democratic. I mean, democratic is a joke. I mean, uh, the name democratic. I mean, think of North Korea, the, the people's, the democratic people's Republic of Korea. You think, you ask any of those people how many, much vote uh, they get in, or much, how much say they have in the, what goes on in North Korea. I very well believe that the name of this new government 
and on the heads of on the all the heads the flag will fly and it will include the name of Christ I believe that's certainly a possibility because the most blasphemous thing you can do is name the name of Christ without knowing Christ without re really being in a relationship with Christ or to teach a Christ who's not the Christ, to teach a God who's not the God, to be call yourself a Christian nation where you're not a Christian nation. That is blasphemy. There are a lot of parties in Europe that take on the name Christian that are socialist and communistic. The Christian, you hear all the different parties, several countries have the name the Christian Democratic Party, and they're nothing more than socialists. And, and so I believe there's quite possibly that there, this government will na somehow name the name of Christ, but it will be Antichrist. And you know what? Because it has seven heads and it takes over all the continents of the world, I believe that it's a democratic system that brings the Antichrist in. I believe that he will be elected by the people of this earth. How sad. He'll come into power, much like Jesus came into Jerusalem, but he won't be riding on a donkey. He'll be riding on a white horse. And he'll ride in on that white horse, promising peace to this world, and the world will embrace him. But he's Antichrist. Look, there are a lot of people on this earth even now who call themselves Christian and yet they lead secular lives. And when you, let me tell you something, when you lead a secular life, when you lead a secular life, you are anti-Christ. A secular life is antichrist. And you end up just like the people ended up in Israel. I mean, think about the people of Israel. God had taken them out of Egypt. He had put them into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness. And they weren't there long. And they cried out, we want a king like a king the rest of the nations have. And it broke Samuel's heart. And Samuel went to the Lord and he said, Lord, they don't want me anymore. And he says, Samuel, it's not you they don't want. It's not you they reject. It's me they reject. Now that's the most, supposedly the most, one of the most godly nations in history. And how did the Lord see his position with that nation? He saw himself as rejected. Look, there are, there are people in this room right now who call themselves Christians. And you would never say that you reject Christ. But if you reject the rule of Christ, you reject Christ. If you rule your own soul, you reject Christ. And that makes you anti-Christ. Jesus said, you are either with me or you are anti, is the word. 
against me. You are anti-me. You are anti-me, Christ. You are anti-Christ. You are with me or you are anti-Christ. And for those of us who are serious about our relationship with the Lord, there should be nothing that is secular in our lives. Everything in our lives should be about Christ. Nothing should be secular, because if it's secular, what is it? It's anti-Christ. I mean, I'm not saying you can't take a secular job, but that job to you shouldn't be secular. That job should be holy. It should be given to the Lord. Whatever you do, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Whatever you say, whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. Nothing should be secular. Everything should be anti, I mean, should be of Christ. Because if it's secular, it's anti-Christ. In the book of Zechariah, we were looking at it Wednesday night. Love Zechariah. You want some encouragement? Don't read Lamentations. Read Zechariah. (laughs) Zechariah is a great book. And at the very end of Zechariah, he starts talking about the millennium. And you know what he says? He says, in the millennium, even the bells on the horses will say holiness to the Lord. Even the pots and pans in your kitchen will be holy to the Lord. Nothing will be secular in that day. Nothing. But we live in a world, and let me tell you what, a lot of us have allowed this to happen in our own lives. We live in a world where we've allowed godless secularism to choke out all that is Christ in our lives. And this, that's why this world is full of anti-Christ. And they call, a lot of them call themselves Christians. But they're anti-Christ. And by calling themselves Christians, that makes them, they're wearing right on their foreheads, blasphemer. Blasphemer. Because I call myself a Christian, but in reality, I'm not. I am just as secular as as the guy out uh, drunk on the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm anti-Christ. So when the Antichrist comes riding in on his white horse, on his Palm Sunday, the world is going to embrace him like they've never embraced any leader before. And a lot of the people who embrace him will be part of the so-called church. You just wait and see. That's why we study passages like Revelation chapter 13. That's why this is given to us. Not so we can figure out the name of the Antichrist. So many people are spinning their wheels trying to do that. It's a waste of time. You're not going to know who he is until the church is removed. The reason we study passages like this isn't to figure out who the Antichrist is, but to make sure we aren't Antichrist Ourself. 
I'm going to close with one other little passage here. In seminary and homiletics, you're told to never open a new scripture passage in your conclusion. I break all the rules. Go to Luke chapter 21. Because I don't think anybody could say it better than Jesus said it. Chapter 19, he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He was declared to be king. The people were shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Save us now. You're the Messiah. You're our king. He knew that that was a lot of fluff. Actually, it was a lot of blasphemy. Because those, a lot of those same people, not by all of them, but a lot of those people were the same people who a few days later would yell, crucify him, crucify him. But he knew he was about to depart. And he wanted to speak to his disciples. Just as he wants to speak to you and me today on Palm Sunday. And listen to what he says in Luke 21. I want you to pick up in verse number 34. He says, but take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. In other words, test your own hearts. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. Now, I don't think there are many of you who are carousing and partying and drunk, drunk but, uh, you know, in Lafayette, we live in a world of that. There's always some kind of festival or something. And I don't know that those things in and of themselves are wrong, but, but let, test your hearts to make sure they're not weighed down by these things. They're, they're not keeping you from a relationship with me. And, and, hey, we're all guilty of this. And the cares, let your hearts not be weighed down by the cares of this life. The secular things of this life. The antichrist things of this life. So that you're not surprised. At, at, and that the day of the Lord, the day come upon you unexpectedly. That day could be today. It very well could be today. The day of the Lord could begin today, and it begins with the rapture of the church. Well, I don't believe in the rapture. Well, you keep reading here. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. Now, he's talking about the day of the Lord here, right? And he's talking about the beginning of the day of the Lord here, right? Everybody got that? Listen to what he says. For it will come as a snare on a few people. That's not what my Bible reads. What's it read? On all. And what's all mean in the Greek? All who dwell on the face of the earth, who aren't watching out. If you're not watching, if you're living an antichrist secular life, you very well might find yourself meeting the antichrist. 
And then maybe you'll get saved at that point. That's another reason for the book of Revelation, because if you're here, go back and read it. When I'm gone, be sure you go back and read this. Because I'm going to be, uh, you're, most of us are going to be out of here. But if you're here, you get some good information about what you need to do next. Because <laughs> you've got a lot of trouble coming. But I'm not going to be here. Most of you aren't going to be here. Hopefully all of you are not going to be here. For it will come to you as a snare, and for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now he's talking about the beginning. He's talking about the beginning. He says, watch therefore. Now watch this. Pray every once in a while. What's it say? Pray always. Now, what's he talking about? He's, I don't know if I can make this any clearer. He's talking about the beginning of the day of the Lord. You better be ready for the beginning. And pray always, watch this, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. How can you escape all these things? There's only one way if you're here on this earth when they come that you can escape them, and that's if you're raptured, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Hallelujah. Man, I can't wait for that day when that trumpet blows on Rosh Hashanah. By the way, it'll be Rosh Hashanah. When that trumpet blows, it's not happening today, but you look out this September. When that trumpet blows, I can't wait to be standing before the Lord. But I won't be standing long. I'll be up pretty quickly on my face. He'll lift me up to heaven and I'll be standing there and there he'll be and I will fall on my face. Hosanna. 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 You save me, Lord. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will, it, that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. What makes us worthy? What makes us worthy? How did we... We saw earlier, how did they over, saints overcome the Satan and this world? By the blood of the Lamb. That's what makes me worthy. That's what makes me worthy. Am I in Christ? Have I been born again? Look, if you're born again, you're going to get raptured. You're going to get raptured. But friends, let me tell you, if our life is nothing but a secular antichrist life, we better, we better watch. We better take heed to ourselves, test ourselves, and make sure that we know the Lord. You know, when he says pray always, let me tell you what your prayer should be. Lord, make me holy. Lord, keep me holy. Well, that's a tough prayer right there. Because the Lord has to do some things to keep us holy. And never let my heart become secular. Never let my heart become anti-Christ. Hosanna. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the events that took place thousands of years ago when you died on a cross for us, when you came into that city, declared yourself to be king. Lord, we know you're coming again to be king. 
But before you do this, evil king is going to come on this earth, Lord. But we thank you that, that, Lord, if we've overcome by your blood, and we have, Lord, we thank you that on that, the day that trumpet blows, we'll be out of here. And we'll escape the wrath of God that's coming to this earth. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, for all that you give us, for all that you do for us. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.